take a listen to episode 107 which is a master class on probiotics Kiran Krishnan is a research microbiologist and has been involved in the dietary supplement and nutrition market for the past 18 years He comes from a university research background having spent several years with hands-on R&D in the fields of molecular medicine and microbiology at the University of Iowa. Kiran established a clinical research organization where he designed and conducted dozens of human clinical trials in human nutrition. Kiran is also a co-founder and partner in New Science Trading LLC and nutritional technology development and research company Kiran is also well known as the co-founder and chief scientific officer at Microbiome Labs he is an expert guest on national and satellite radio has appeared in several international documentaries and has been a guest speaker on several international health summits as a microbiome expert He is currently involved in 16 novel human clinical trials on probiotics and the human microbiome. Kiran is also on the scientific advisory board or a science advisor for seven other companies in the industries. I was thrilled to have this conversation with Kiran whom I greatly admire professionally and completely resonate with personally. Kiran was the best person to walk us through truly understanding probiotics in the context of sleep. In this episode, we go into everything from why you could have a bad reaction to how you can safely use probiotics to improve your sleep. It was fascinating how Kiran and I shared the belief that addressing physiology is very critical in solving sleep challenges. This belief might be conflicting with the sleep space overall but take a listen it's an enlightening conversation it is packed with information on the approach behind the work itself and on clinical use of these products so that you can implement these protocols safely this episode is for patients and practitioners if you do find that it resonates with you and helps you navigate probiotics for sleep safely Please do give a shout out, leave the show or episode a review or share it with your friends. This allows us to do our work more passionately, bringing you great information from global experts every single week. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Allied Functional Medicine Practitioner, author and you. and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey. Um Kiran thank you for being on the Sleep Whisperer podcast it's really great of you to give your time and i know that a lot of people have had so many questions around microbiome labs especially megaspore biotics so i really wanted to do this with you and today we are speaking specifically about the gut microbiome the role of probiotics and sleep which is a mm-hmm. major area of fascination for me especially given that in the traditional sleep practitioner world out there there is zero attention on the gut microbiome or even the stock of probiotics and how sleep is affected sleep practitioners typically stay with talking about looking at sleep from the role of light and from using practices like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia which is all wonderful but i think missing the role of physiology in how it impacts sleep is really an injustice to the population who's struggling with sleep issues 
Um, yeah. And uh, Megaspore Biotic is my personal favorite in uh, probiotics, but I would love a little peek into what made you go into the path of probiotics itself, because the um, Megaspore Biotics is definitely very different from typical probiotics out there. So what made you go down that road? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I uh, appreciate this opportunity. And, uh, uh, you know, you're, you're so close to where I grew up uh, in, in Bangalore in uh, southern India. And I was born a little bit outside of Bangalore, probably closer to where you live right, right now. So um, it's great to connect and, uh, and talk about sleep. Um, it's such a critical aspect of it. And, and you're totally right in the, in the fact that all of these other auxiliary therapies, right, may help to a certain degree, but we're not talking about the root cause until you talk about the gut, because the gut plays the major role in inducing sleep and inducing sleep efficiency. Um, so when we were looking at probiotics, you know, one of the things that I had prior to founding Microbiome Labs was a research company, and I was doing lots of clinical research, uh, technology development for companies, and my company was actually brought on to study the probiotic market, study products on the market, and then really kind of come up with what would be the next um, type of probiotic that, that we should really focus on. And in that study, we came to understand that probiotics, most of them on the market really didn't do anything, right? People were just simply throwing together a hodgepodge of different strains at different values, right? 50 billion, 100 billion, 200 billion, the numbers just kept going up and up and up, 17 strains, 25 strains. And the problem is, as you increase the number of strains and increase the dose, and you're trying to keep the price point down, the only choice you have is to go to lower and lower quality ingredients, right? Because how can you sell a 30 strain product with 100 billion or 50 billion CFUs for $25 and at the same time, sell a three-strain product with 10 billion CFUs for $25, right? The big difference between those two is going to be that the big, the high-dose product had to go with very low-quality strains to get the cost down. So we saw lots of problems with that. We saw that most probiotics were dying in the stomach and not even making it to the intestines alive. Um, they were not formulated based on any sort of scientific rationale. So we started asking ourselves, well, what is like nature's probiotic, right? How did our ancestors interact with bacteria? Um, what was their daily exposure to microbes like? And then you come to quickly find, realize and find out that most of our exposure naturally to bacteria comes from the environment, right? And then there are big studies that show that people that live in more rural areas like yourself, who live in, in more un, uh, undisturbed environments, tend to have healthier, more diverse microbiomes and tend to have lower risk of chronic illness. So there's a deep connection between being more in nature and having a healthier microbiome and, and less chronic illness. With that, we said, okay, so then clearly the natural probiotics are somewhere in nature, right? Because exposure to them is beneficial, but clearly not every bacteria found in nature can act as a probiotic because the vast majority of those bacteria also die going through the gastric system. So we honed in on the, the few bacteria that exist in nature naturally, but could also survive the gastric barrier, which is a major gauntlet for bacteria, and get to the intestines alive. And that's where the spore-based bacteria came from, right? So we identified bacillus spores as being the one key species that not only naturally lived in the gut, but was also naturally found abundant in the environment and could survive that journey through the gastric system to get to the intestines alive. That to us was a signal that, hey, this is the kind of bacteria that nature intends to be a probiotic because it has all the features and cap capabilities of what we would define as a probiotic. Then we started studying it and started realizing that, wow, they do some amazing things. That's amazing. And when you mentioned soil, Kiran, my mind went to when my son was, he's now 12, but when he was about two years old, we moved from the city of Bangalore into this farm and the forest. And he started having some breathing issues and his 
uh, doctor said he needs to be on the inhaler and he she said mm -hmm. that we needed to get rid of all our dogs and we had six at that time and it didn't make any sense to me because there we were in this cooped up apartment and it was so dark and there was no exposure to the environment and after six months he thrived he got off all medications and he's not had a single allergic response ever since so yeah. it is definitely connected to how we've progressed as a society where we moved away from nature and the soil. But I want to ask you two questions. One is, of course, what I mentioned earlier about how the, in the sleep practitioner world, there's no connection to the role of the microbiome in sleep and the stress response, especially since anxiety plays such a big role in poor sleep. And also there is no talk about using probiotics therapeutically. So what is the role of the microbiome in stress and in poor sleep? And also what is the role that probiotics could play in supporting, improving sleep quality, quantity, managing sleep through the night? Yeah. And, and, you know, and I'll, I'll talk a lot about anxiety and stress at the same time, because they're all really tied in with sleep, right? Very similar mechanisms uh, and, and similar things that cause anxiety that disrupt sleep as well. Um, so there, there's two major pathologies that we have to pay attention to when it comes to sleep and, and stress. Um, that and, and two major things that happen, uh, two major things that occur in the gut that disrupt normal sleep, normal stress management, normal anxiety levels, and so on. Um, the first thing is LPS, so lipopolysaccharide, which is an endotoxin produced by 50, 60% of the bacteria that live in your gut, right? So it's there naturally all the time. It's a toxin, but it's not really a problem if it's staying in the lining of the gut. But if your lining becomes leaky, as in leaky gut or intestinal permeability, that endotoxin is going to leak through, it's going to end up in circulation, and you're going to get high levels of it in circulation. There's a number of problems with when, when that occurs. Number one, it generates this chronic inflammatory response in the body, right? So we know that when you're inflamed and when you have chronic activation of the immune system, that's going to disrupt hormone signaling that's going to disrupt the production of melatonin, serotonin, and all of these really important hormones. We also know that like, when you look at uh, neurotransmitters and the formation of neurotransmitters and hormones, inflammation can change what happens to certain compounds in the body. For example, you, you take um, uh, tryptophan, right? And that's a precursor to serotonin and melatonin, right? So you need that in order for your body to make serotonin and melatonin. Serotonin, of course, the happy hormone, melatonin helps you get to sleep and rest. That same precursor, tryptophan, if you have high degrees of inflammation, will get moved into a different pathway called the kynurenin pathway. And it turns into these compounds called kynurenin and quinolinic acid. Those are actually neurotoxic compounds that actually create toxicity in the brain, increase stress response, and activate the sympathetic nervous system. So now you cannot rest, right? Because you need the parasympathetic nervous system to be activated in order to rest and sleep. So the inflammation itself is, is, a, is a process of triggering stress response and inflammation in the body, which prevents you from sleeping and also makes it really hard to manage external stress that's coming in because your body is geared up for stress right now, right? So that LPS is, is one big component, leaking through the intestinal lining, ending up in circulation becomes a big driver of poor stress response and lack of sleep response. LPS also interferes with the binding of dopamine and serotonin in the brain. So now even if you're producing enough serotonin and dopamine, you're not binding it. So you can't feel happy, you can't calm down, you can't uh, turn on the reward centers of the brain. And then LPS also uh, increases inflammatory response in the brain itself by activating these cells called microglia cells. So now you've got leaky gut driving this inflammatory state, which keeps you awake and in a fight or flight type of mode, right? So that's one component of it. The second component of it is the, is the effect that cortisol has on sleep and of course mood, right? So 
most people have heard of cortisol. If you get an external stressor, let's say your coworker or your spouse or somebody's bothering you or some, you know, bills, whatever it may be that stresses us, there's a million things that stress us. Um, any external stressor, one of the first things that occurs is your hypothalamus is, is activated, right? And that causes the release of um, a hormone called corticotropin stimulating hormone that then causes your adrenals to release cortisol. Now you've got cortisol being released when you have a stressor. So imagine the external stressor, cortisol levels are going up. Part of cortisol's role is to get the body ready for the flight or fight response, right? So, to, and then it also stimulates a sympathetic nervous system. So increase your heart rate, concentrate blood to your brain and to your muscles, taking away from the gut and uh, taking blood away from other areas so that your body is ready for fight or flight. And cortisol also dumps into the gut. One of the problems is if you don't have a healthy gut microbiome, when cortisol dumps into the gut, it causes an inflammatory response in the gut, which leads to an elevation of a compound called interleukin-6. Interleukin-6 then goes and triggers the HPA or the hypothalamus again, releasing more cortisol, right? So the way it's supposed to work is there's an external stressor, let's say through the course of evolution, you're in the woods, so you know this, as you're walking through the woods, you hear some rustling in the bushes, right? It's normal for your instincts to get stressed because you're supposed to protect yourself from that danger. Then maybe you decide that it's something you wanna get away from and you leave that space, right? So your cortisol levels go up, your epinephrine, norepinephrine grows up, your heart rate goes up, your visual acuity opens up, you're more alert, you run away from that danger. When you get to a safe place, you're supposed to be able to come down from it and go back to your normal state, right? That's how stress response is supposed to work. If your gut is unhealthy, what happens is that trigger, that initial trigger, that rustling in the bushes triggers your flight or fight response and your cortisol release. You get stressed, you get anxious, you run away from the threat. When you get to the safe space, your all your levels are still high and you remain in that inflammatory activated state for the rest of the day. You can't come back down, right? And the reason for that is as cortisol goes up, it causes inflammation in the gut, in an unhealthy gut, and there isn't a checkpoint in the gut to stop that inflammation. So that inflammation keeps going up, reactivating the HPA axis, releasing more cortisol, which causes more inflammation, which causes more release of cortisol, and it just keeps going and going and going. All of this, the whole time, activating the sympathetic nervous system, so you cannot rest. And then your digestion gets compromised, right? Now you're feeling bloating, loose stool, cramping. You're not digesting food well. And of course, you cannot sleep at night properly because you can't come down from it. So those are the two critical mechanisms. The, um, the, the dealing with cortisol in the stomach, in the, sorry, in the, in the intestines, and then also dealing with LPS, lipopolysaccharide in leaky gut. So leaky gut, cortisol response, those are the two things that a dysfunctional gut allows that disrupts our mood and disrupts our sleep continuously. I think that was really pertinent that you also spoke about how we can react adversely to something like 5-HTP or something that we take yep. to try and support sleep because this is what you hear a lot in the sleep world that people are advising a specific dose of tryptophan or 5-HTP. And then usually people are talking about trying those supplements and not having any effect with their sleep. No, yeah. And also very pertinent that you spoke about the physiology of sympathetic dominance because when you're telling everybody that you need to practice meditation, you need to be breathing, and these are all wonderful tools. I'm no way saying that they're not, but mm -hmm. to be trying to force yourself to sit in meditation when the physiology of your body doesn't allow yourself to even shift to that parasympathetic state is, I mean, it's something that is relevant and we just mm -hmm. definitely need to bring attention to physiology. On that note, yeah. I wanted to ask you about 
having adverse reactions to probiotics when somebody begins. And usually people experience a wide range of symptoms, anything from digestive distress like heartburn, bloating, uh, burning in the stomach, sleeplessness itself. Now, mm -hmm. are these all telling them that usually people get afraid and then they say that probiotics are very dangerous and then they just stop it. Um, but what is that initial reaction actually telling us? What do we need to be bringing our attention to if we have these kind of reactions at the beginning? Yeah, you know, and, and if assuming you have the right probiotic and one that's effective and you get that kind of uh, reaction, there's a word for it. It's called a Herxheimer reaction, right? It's, um, it's a die-off reaction. So basically what's happening is if you have a good probiotic, it's going to go in and it's going to compete against the opportunistic and pathogenic organisms. And when it does that, these organisms are going to fight back, right? They're trying to survive too. And so they will start to release lots of toxins and things like that. And in that period, you can feel loose stool, cramping, bloating, even, you know, maybe tiredness, you know, uh, lack of sleep and a few different uh, uh, symptomologies that go along with that. Typically, that doesn't last for more than four or five days. So you can punch through it if you can. You can go slower on the dose and go and build up slower. Um, but at the end of the day, that's telling you that a significant change is happening and needs to happen in your gut. Right. Um, because that die off reaction is very telling that your gut was probably predominant with uh, problematic organisms. And now they are, you know, get, doing their last ditch effort to try to stay alive. Yes, I think that is something that a lot of people go through. And on that note, I also want to talk about histamine issues because I see mm -hmm. a lot of that with clients and when they have histamine intolerance, histamine elevation can be a root cause of poor sleep. It can trigger anxiety, mm -hmm. sleeplessness. Uh, so is normally in the probiotic space, you hear a lot of people talking about those with histamine intolerance, not who should not take probiotics or they should, mm -hmm. you know, there are some of these specialized formulations for histamine intolerance. Now, is that really necessary? Should people with histamine issues never take probiotics? Is it going to increase histamine levels in them? Right. Um, so what's, so that's interesting. So um, if you have an histamine intolerance, so you have over uh, your immune system is overreacting to things and, and producing a lot of histamine. Um, that typically means that things that aren't natural to your system in, in some way or the other may trigger further histamine response, right? And that's, that was one of my problems with probiotics in general early on is that when you take these, what I call kitchen sink formulas, when there's 20, 25 strains in them and hundreds of billions of CFUs, you really don't know what those bacteria are doing in your system. And more, more than likely, your immune system doesn't recognize them as normal commensals because they are from other sources. Um, and it's not natural to get huge loads of lactobacilli and bifidobacteria in that way, right? Um, and so it could cause your immune system to respond to the presence of those bacteria coming in which in your in that person's immune system, it's more of a histamine response, right? That's the default of their immune response is that IgE, isonophil, histamine type of response. And so the immune system is trying to protect you from those microbes that are coming in, flooding in at 100 billion, 200 billion, and it's responding, but it's, its default is the IgE, histamine hypersensitivity response. So in those people, they should be quite careful what probiotic they take. I think that makes a big difference, right? Because we can't really put probiotics in one general category because they can all be so different in their functions. Um, taking the spores as an example, those, those uh, organisms, number one, they don't produce histamine themselves, right? So that's not a danger. Number two, they are universal colonizers, meaning our bodies all recognize them as normal commensals because we all gain exposure to them or we're supposed to in the, in the natural environment, right? So that's a normal way of interacting with these spores. And through millions of years of, uh, of evolution, we've had that kind of exposure to them. So our bodies don't see that 
as unusual. So our immune system is not going to react against them triggering more histamine. But the spores can help in more ways than that because part of the reason why people have this overreactive histamine response, there's a couple of things. Number one, they have low IgA, right? So they tend to produce less immunoglobulin A. And, and what, that, what happens when you have less immunoglobulin A is your immune system brings in more mast cells to try to make up for it. And those mast cells start producing things like histamine uh, and taurine and uh, IgE and so on to try to make up for the low levels of uh, IgA to try to protect the body, right? So that's, that's one fact. Now, why do they have low IgA? Well, they have low IgA because they have a dysbiotic gut because IgA is produced in response to signals from your healthy commensal bacteria. So that's one reason why they have this elevated histamine response to everything. Number two, they don't have an upregulation of the Treg system. That's the regulatory T cells whose job it is to dampen all these unfavorable immune responses, right? Allergic responses, hypersensitivity, autoimmune type of responses. The T cells, these T cells are supposed to say, hey, immune system, we don't need to respond against that. Stop it. This is what you have to be tolerant against. So they don't have that problem. That's also, uh, they don't have that functioning. That's also driven by uh, dysbiosis. The same thing that drives low IgA and elevated levels of mast cells also drives low Tregs, right? So now they have this double whammy, low IgA, low Tregs. Now mast cells and histamine and isonophils are all up trying to make up for that, right? So, uh, and then the last thing is many of those people also tend to have chronic uh, latent infections like viral infections, right? Epstein-Barr and so on. Your microbiome in response to the presence of these infectious viruses will actually produce more histamine as a way of trying to recruit and activate your immune system to deal with the infection, right? So more than likely those individuals have this, all three of those things going on, low IgA, right? Um, and then uh, low IgA and then chronic infection, and then likely uh, the, a further imbalance in their, in their gut microbiome where they, where they tend to have low Tregs as well, right? So all three of those things are working at the same time. Now, is there a probiotic that can correct those things? Then that kind of probiotic could be really helpful for somebody with histamine issues. So we've, we've studied the spores in this context. We see that the spores can increase IgA. We see that the spores do increase uh, Treg function. And then we also see that the spores can compete against latent infection like viruses and bacteria and so on. So the spores actually in, in the US and the practices we work with have been tremendously helpful for people with histamine intolerant issues. So it really depends on which probiotic, right? If I was if I was histamine intolerant, I would stay away from the kitchen sink products with just the hundreds of billions of stuff and you have no idea what's in it. But I would work with a probiotic that fixes those underlying mechanisms that, that cause the histamine issue to begin with. Very well explained, Kiran. And before we go into, uh, and I do want us to talk specifically about two of your products, Megaspore Biotic and also Zen Biome. Um, mm -hmm. But before that, I do want to ask you, because a lot of practitioners resort to testing um, gut bacteria, mapping the gut bacteria before looking at any protocols. Now, is it necessary to run testing that might at some time be uh, expensive for many people or is that I mean is that really necessary do we need to have a picture of what's happening what's the bacteria that is proliferating in our gut before we begin protocols you know uh, I don't think so because you know when we now gut stool testing can be useful and I'll I'll say when it's useful right but to start what is absolutely clear, and we've studied this now for the last like seven years, we've been looking at not only literature, but of course, our own clinical trials as well. The vast majority of dysfunctions that people suffer from, whether it's immunological, hormonal, you know, autoimmune, metabolic, most of them are driven by the same type of dysfunction in the gut microbiome, right? It's basic stuff. It's low diversity, low keystone species. Uh, low levels of certain postbiotics like short-chain fatty acids, 
and then high levels of opportunistic organisms, right? Or, or higher levels of opportunistic organisms. That tends to be the characteristic of most of these conditions. Then what condition you develop will depend on your environment, your lifestyle, some genetic risk and so on, right? But the foundation for those, for those dysfunctions to exist is because of those microbiome features. So everybody benefits from increasing diversity. Everybody benefits from increasing keystone species. Everybody benefits from sealing up the leaky gut, right? Everybody benefits from increasing uh, short chain fatty acid production and then reducing um, opportunistic organisms. So you don't need a test to know that these are the features that are going to be important and beneficial to your patient or your client, right? And, and so to me, that's foundational. We need to go back to that, right? It's no different than we don't need a test if someone is severely dehydrated to say, drink water and you'll, you'll start to rehydrate yourself, right? The root cause of their dehydration is the lack of water. The root cause of their condition is lack of diversity, lack of keystone species, lack of postbiotics. So you have to reset that in virtually everybody, right? And we have all of these lifestyle things and things in our environment that work against all of that. That's why our diversity is low. That's why our keystone species are low and so on. So I don't think you need it with vast majority of people. I think where it can be really useful, and this is assuming you have a, you're using a stool test that's actually accurate, and gives you proper mapping and all that, right? Which is a whole other conversation. But let's say you're using like the biome effects, like we have the whole genome sequencing. We know it's extremely accurate, developed by the top minds in this in that space. Um, we typically tell our um, practitioners, we train them that when a patient walks in, they start the patient on Megaspore or start them on the total gut restoration system, right? Because you need to fix those basic dysfunctions. And then you can start doing stool testing to see maybe there's some other things we need to tweak as we go along, or just wait for that 90 days of the restoration of the gut and then see if things have improved enough or if they haven't, then you might do a stool test to try to get other clues of what else may be going on, right? So you don't need to do a stool test across the board in order to treat the patient or the client. You should be able to do that with these basic approaches. I love it because that's exactly my take and I'm glad to be reassured of that. And I would like to speak specifically about Megaspore Biotic and I use the total gut restoration all the time. Um, but I'd like to talk about Megaspore Biotic and Zen Biome mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. what, how are they specifically different from other probiotics and how is Zen Biome specifically targeted towards better sleep? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Megasporbiotic is the first uh, multi-spore probiotic. We talked about how important these spores can be, right? Because they are really nature's probiotic. They are the bacteria that we're supposed to gain exposure to that can actually survive through the gastric system, get to the intestines alive. And they have a very unique capability of reading the microbial environment. It's called quorum sensing. And then finding pathogenic or problematic organisms competing against them, bringing their levels down, and then producing compounds to enhance the growth of beneficial uh, uh, organisms. So they provide this amazing rebalancing of the microbiome. They also stimulate the, the expression of tight junction proteins. So you seal up the gut, they modulate the immune response, they improve the Treg function, they reduce the inflammatory responses, they stop that LPS endotoxemia. And then at the same time, they produce these postbiotics. They produce butyrate, propionate, acetate, short, all these short chain fatty acids, right? So they're doing kind of a environmental change of your gut microbiome. And that's a very unique aspect of a probiotic. No other probiotic on the market has been shown to be able to do those things, right? So one of the studies we just completed was, a, was the largest probiotic acne study ever done. And what we were able to show with the, with the basically the Megaspore formula is that in a 90-day period, we saw almost a 60% reduction in acne lesions, right? 
we're demonstrating the gut skin access in that case. And at the same time, we've done studies on triglycerides with Megaspore. We've done studies on rheumatoid arthritis. We've done weight studies. It impacts all of these things in a profound way. And the reason is we're going back to the fundamentals of increasing diversity, increasing keystone species, bringing down the opportunistics, sealing up the tight junctions and so on. So it's a very unique probiotic in that it creates or it provides that foundational help that everybody's microbiome needs, right? And if we all lived in within a natural environment like our ancestors did for 99.999% of human evolution, we wouldn't need it at all, right? I'd be the first to say you don't have to take it if you're living in the environment like our ancestors intended us to. But because we don't, because we've divorced ourselves from exposure to these organisms on a regular basis, you saw it being in the city in Bangalore and then the difference in moving to a more rural area, right? What, and most people for, unfortunately can't do that. And so they need exposure to these organisms. So that's the, that's the crux behind Megaspore. And it's, it's, you know, it's made such an impact on so many lives and it's so exciting to see that. And all we were is we were just smart enough to understand that nature has already provided the answers we just have to figure out what it is that nature provided and utilize it, right? We can't create these tools. We just have to know that they're out there and find them. And uh, in terms of Zen biome, uh, which I don't know anything about, I would love to yeah. know why was it formulated specifically with the aspect of sleep? Yeah. So um, it, it's really interesting. So we talked about earlier the impact that cortisol has on stress response, right? And continuous activation of the stress response through the HPA axis. That also creates a continuous activation of the sympathetic nervous system, downgrading the action of this parasympathetic nervous system. So if you're in that state, you're never gonna sleep, right? You can't turn your brain off. You're never gonna get sleepy. You're gonna lay there anxious. And the fact that you're not sleeping will make you more anxious, right? Because now you're concerned that you're not sleeping. And, uh, and that in itself is gonna trigger more stress response. So um, what we were looking for, what we started working with this, um, with this group called uh, the APC, which is the, um, the number one gut brain research institute in the world. They're based in Cork, Ireland. Um, and we were looking for psychobiotics. Psychobiotics are gut-derived organisms that have a dramatic impact on the brain, especially on mood and sleep and other brain functions, right? Um, and, and the way the, the, the research started was really kind of screening people to, to compare the microbiomes of people that slept well, had really good stress management and all that, and then age match people that did not sleep well, that did not have good stress management. And when we started looking at those microbiomes, you come to find out that the people that have good sleep, good stress management and all that tend to have a certain type of bacteria in their gut, right? One that kept popping up is a bifidobacterium longum, which is a unique version of longum because most bifidobacteria longums don't have this feature. And that's the feature of having an exopolysaccharide. It has this unique polysaccharide covering around it. And that polysaccharide is made up of something called peptidoglycan, right? And peptidoglycan is a compound made by bacteria, some bacteria in the gut. And it's a very unique compound because peptidoglycan from day one is critically important for brain development and brain function. Right? So when a baby is in utero, when mom is, is carrying the baby, her bacteria's peptidoglycan from her gut goes into her circulation. She absorbs it from her gut microbiome. It goes into her circulation. It goes into the placenta. And the placenta actually has transporters for peptidoglycan that can carry the peptidoglycan from the placenta all the way to the baby's brain. And the baby's brain has receptors for peptidoglycan. And in fact, when it binds peptidoglycan, that's an important stimulus for the development of the baby's brain, for the development of the neural connections, for called synaptogenesis, right? For the development of the blood-brain barrier, for the development of the different regions of the brain, the corpus callosum, the frontal, the rear cortex, and all that. And then uh, also the development of the myelin sheets that cover the neurons, right? So that the, the neurological signals are insulated. So very, very critical developments for our human babies, we have outsourced to this bacterial compound 
which is really, really mind-blowing when you think about it, right? I mean, what could be more important when your baby's growing in utero than ensuring that his or her brain is developing properly? And whether or not his or her brain develops properly is dependent on a bacterial byproduct that's in mom's gut. Now, as it turns out, that same bacterial byproduct is equally important when you're an adult. One of the key things that it does in the gut is protects the gut from the negative insult from cortisol, right? So cortisol, as I described earlier, when it elevates, cortisol starts triggering inflammation in the gut if you don't have a healthy gut. That inflammation increases HPA activation, releases more cortisol, which triggers more inflammation, and the cycle goes on and on. As that cycle is going on, the sympathetic nervous system is getting activated constantly, right? So now you're not in the condition to sleep, you're in the condition to flight or fight. If you can stop cortisol's activation of the HPA axis, then the system can come back down, right? And this peptidoglycan from bacteria in the gut is the critical component to stopping the negative effects of cortisol in the gut. So individuals that have higher levels of these peptidoglycan bacteria don't have the same reactivation of the, of the stress response system from a single stressor. And so they can come back down and the sympathetic nervous system can come back up, right? The other individuals are always in the, uh, sorry, the parasympathetic can come back up. The other individuals are constantly in that sympathetic activation. So to us, this was critically important because getting those peptidoglycan bacteria back into the system becomes really important for stress management and for induction of sleep. And sure enough, we've published, I think a total of four stress and mood studies on, on anxiety and mood um, issues. And then we've, we've, we've completed three sleep studies showing that in individuals taking this peptidoglycan-rich bacteria will actually have uh, shorter uh, time to sleep. It takes them shorter amount of time to actually fall asleep. They have deeper, more efficient sleep. They're in REM sleep longer. Their cycles, REM cycles are much more efficient. And then they actually feel more rested once they wake up, right? All of that is because we're shunting that inflammatory triggering of the sympathetic nervous system and the HPA axis. And so that's what ZenBiome is based on. ZenBiome is based on bringing back that important bacteria and that bacterial uh, component to stop the, uh, the overexpression of the sympathetic nervous system and the triggering of stress response. And I must share this, Kiran, that again, in the sleep practitioner world, um, especially those who speak about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, there's a lot of information to patients that um, don't focus on any of these external aids. Now, they would call even a probiotic an external aid, and they're talking about reprogramming the mind to say that you don't need to worry about not falling back asleep. Um, and personally, for me, I, I have never been in the same line of thought. And I've always believed that psychology follows physiology more powerfully than the other way around. Um, mm -hmm. So that explanation was really useful. And uh, I will share it with some of my practitioners who don't have this line of thought. Um, could you walk us safely through how someone might choose the right probiotic when they're struggling with sleep? Would that be Zen Biome? Also, how would they properly introduce, use, and do they need to continue it uh, for um, ever? And uh, how might that support their sleep? Yeah, so um, for our, our clients and, and our, our docs that we work with that are dealing with patients with sleep, we always recommend the combination of the Megaspore and the Zenbiome. The reason for that is LPS, which is what Megaspore takes care of, is still a continuous problem in people that have lack of sleep and gut issues and so on, right? So you want to address LPS and you should just always be addressing that anyway, because that's the foundation for a vast number of other chronic illnesses. So we start them at Megaspore, but at the same time, we start them on the Zenbiome Sleep formula. And that is just one a day. The Zenbiome Sleep is one a day. The Megaspore, um, which you may talk about from time to time, people we ask people to titrate it up. 
right? So that they get less of that die-off reaction and it's less dramatic for them. So people start with as little as half a capsule every other day for the first week, then they go to half a capsule a day, then one capsule a day, then the, by the fourth week, two capsules a day taken at the same time. So you still taper up the megaspore that way, but from day one, you can take a full capsule of the Zen Biome Sleep, right? And most people will experience a change in their ability to fall asleep and the efficiency of their sleep uh, within the first week or so, right? And, and the thing we report that we get reported most is the vividness of their dreams, right? People are like, I don't know what's happening, but my dreams are so vivid, right? Uh, and that's awesome because, of course, you don't dream unless you're in REM sleep and you want to be in REM sleep more often and you should be in deep REM so you have that, that repair and correction and all that that's going on in the body. And so you start one a day with the Zen biome sleep, and then you taper up your megaspore at the same time. By the third or fourth week, you're basically on two caps of megaspore, one cap of Zen biome, and that will make a foundational difference on the physiology that's preventing you from sleeping, you know? And, and that's exactly right. Like it's, it's an uphill battle to try to psychologically change your lack of your ability, inability to sleep, right? Because it's it's almost like putting somebody in a cage with a tiger and telling them to talk themselves out of being afraid, right? Our instincts, our physiology is driving us to leave that situation, right? And we're gonna try to protect ourselves. It's the same physiology that's happening, but there's no tiger there, right? It's just our own running thoughts and so on, but it's driven by this dysbiosis in the gut. You, you can measure that. We actually, one of the studies we published on stress response uh, that was done in uh, at a university in Germany can measure cortisol response uh, in a simulated um, social experiment. And this is, people are wearing a VR headset and they're taking part in a game in, in the VR headset. And the game is where the other participants in the game, which are digital participants, they're not even real participants, are avoiding them and not selecting them and like, and they're getting left out of the game, right? That is triggering the same amount of stress and anxiety response as actual, uh, you know, isolation in, in person, right? So it doesn't take much to trigger a, a significant amount of stress and anxiety in us and, and the, the physiological component of it. So in these people, unfortunately, they're constantly triggered. So you have to address that physiology. I would say as you're addressing the physiology, bring in the behavioral therapy, right? Bring in the, the meditation and the, the, you know, the mantras and everything else. I do a lot of those things as well. They're great. Good for your brain waves, good for you to practice, you know, but you, you have to address the physiology or it's not going to work. I love it. I love that because that's totally my belief. And I've been teaching yoga for 20 years. And my mm -hmm. belief is always that these are all complementary, but they're not the only things that, I mean, we do need to address the physiology. That was a great conversation, Kiran. We have all our guests complete our show mantra. Uh, so I would like you also to complete. If sleep is the new medicine, then... Uh, how would you complete that? If sleep is a new medicine, if sleep is the new medicine, then the world has a tremendous lack of medicine to them because people are just not sleeping, you know? And, uh, and to me, and maybe another way of completing it is if, if sleep is a new medicine, um, we all have the opportunity to choose to be healthier and better, right? Because we can choose to sleep. And, and I know a lot of people listening and going, well, I try to every night, right? And I can't. But listening to programs like this, listening to the work you're doing, there are solutions to it, right? So it's still a choice. So you can choose to, to add in new tools to your, to your arsenal to try to improve your sleep um, because sleep is absolutely the new medicine. And, and because sleep is a new medicine, we have the capability of improving our health and wellness. It's well within our power. All we have to do is allow our body that rest, right? If we don't rest, we cannot repair we cannot rejuvenate. We we will constantly be in this in the situ scenario where we're damaging ourselves. So, um, so yeah, I was uh, I was excited when you when you uh, emailed me about doing this 
uh, this talk because we've been working a lot on sleep and stress management through the psychobiotic research that we're doing. And it's so, so clear to us. And the research is very clear that there is a physiological issue with sleep. Yes, staring at blue light late at night is and lighting and all of those things make a difference, right? But still, as a species, we are hindering the physiological foundation of how we get to sleep. And, and all of those other things are just making it a little bit worse. But fundamentally, we're, we've disrupted the mechanism by which we rest. And, and if we don't fix that, we can't rest. Thank you, Kiran. Where can people find you if they'd like to know more about all the research that you've done and also get access to your products if they don't already have? Sure. Yeah. Um, so come visit us at microbiomelabs.com. Um, there's lots of tabs on there for research, talks, webinars, and all that. I also encourage people to reach out to me on social media. As, as many messages and all as I get, I try to engage and respond with people because you know, information, knowledge is power. And I'm, I'm very passionate about providing people with knowledge and information. So uh, you can find me on Instagram at Kiran Biome. So K-I-R-A-N-B-I-O-M-E. And then on uh, Facebook, if you just look up Kiran Krishnan, you'll find my my face on there and, uh, um, you know, connect with me on the, I'm, I'm happy to chat. And I also post on there a lot about talks and upcoming things that, that I'm doing. Thank you for your time, Kiran. It was an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. Yeah, it is my pleasure. Thank you so much, Deepa. And, and congratulations on the great work you're doing. And uh, congratulations on making the difficult decision to move out of the city and go out to closer to nature. Um, so that's that's I know that's hard for a lot of people to do, but uh, you know it's wonderful that you're able to do that. So um, thank you so much. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional it is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.